You remember I said every week I get to this moment on Fridays where I think, I've missed it. Well, you know what happened this week? Two o'clock on Friday, I went, something doesn't feel right. And the Lord said, you're right, because that's not the message for this week. And I said, okay, what do I speak on? (laughs) I'm sitting back in my office, just kind of there. And I don't know if uh, I realized that I started cleaning my desk because the clutter in my mind was uncontrollable. So I needed to just straighten something up to have some type of organization in my life. So if you, if you jump to clean when you're stressed, that's why, because you're trying to figure out. So I was doing that, and I, this piece of paper came across. I, I, I took it, and I knew what it was, and I threw it in the trash can. And I remembered it was the notes that I wrote the last time we had a prayer night, just from all of our prayers. And I had written a word and circled it. And the word was weariness. And I knew that night the Lord stirred me to to preach a message just to encourage the church amidst weariness. And so immediately I knew, oh, okay, that was it. So graciously, the Lord was like five minutes from 2 to 2.05 is when I was like (laughs) cleaning the desk. What are we going to do? But the Lord, I hope, will minister to us because I was completely, I'm mentally worn out by this year. Uh, And the thought of, a hurricane approaching us had me completely distracted this week. Uh, what we're going to do on Sunday, if it came close, would we even have power? But then there's the burden of, man, Lake Charles, our hearts sink for them. And just, uh, I saw a headline, just one of the quotes was, we're numb. I can't imagine two forceful hurricanes just annihilating stuff. So, and, and what, so we, we feel this, but saw a, a meme this week that was, was going around social media. Uh, it was a post about the decades that we've lived through. So this person made this meme, and it was the, the decades I've lived through, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, the 2010s, early 2020, mid-2020, October 1st and 2nd, 2020, October 3rd through 5th, 2020. It's like we feel everything halting in our lives. But we can't lose sight of the fact that, one, God is sovereign. While we are trying to figure out what's going on and we're experiencing the weariness of living in life and in fallen bodies that keep on getting sick and we don't know why, God is never surprised. Because God is still moving all of the universe and eternity, future, past, and future. He's moving it all toward one glorious moment. From what the resurrection secured, he's moving it to the moment where Jesus returns. And then we really do have the freedom, the satisfaction, the the. The, the things that we struggle to achieve here, and, and that means no tears. We struggle to have no tears. We struggle to have no disease here. But there's coming a day when all of that will be wiped away, completely gone, and we will see him as he is. That's the day that we remind ourselves of, but today we live amongst weariness. We, we, we live amongst uh, brokenness and fallenness. And I think today the Lord desires to remind us 
of his nearness amidst our weariness so we can be sustained by his presence and his grace. I just simply think the Lord wants us to, to be reminded of his grace today. And Psalm 55, I think, helps us with this. And, you know, uh, it's cool that as Matt was asking the Lord for what songs to sing this morning, we're grateful that Mark and his family are taking a little vacation this weekend, uh, time well uh, needed for him, deserved for him. So it's, it's cool that they're doing that. But as Matt's putting us together, he had no idea the Lord changed me. And then all of a sudden we're, we're singing all creatures of our God and King, and it's cast all your burdens on him. It's like, oh, that's the psalm we're going to be talking about today. So the Lord confirms what he's, his desire is. Let's look at Psalm 55. The word of God says, this is a, a psalm of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. It's not an adversary. I could hide from him. It's, but it's you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God. The Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil. Yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would please highlight the work of Jesus so our trust will be in you. Sustain us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We can really look at this psalm in the stanzas that it's written in and see the first one here is you feel the strain that David's going through. It's a, the strain of life. Give ear to my prayer, O God. Look, what just, we're just going to walk through here and highlight some different phrases and words as we go through. Hide not yourself from my plea. For mercy. 
you know, we feel when we are going through stuff that God's actually uh, hiding us in, in a way that taunts us. We feel, God, are you, are you blatantly ignoring me? Because I'm asking, I know what I'm asking, I know what I'm feeling, Lord, and, and you tell me to come to you, so God, why is it this hard? Why do I not feel your presence? Why do I not have an answer to this prayer? David's describing, but when he says, hide not yourself from me, he's actually appealing to God's character. He's not saying, God, I know you're busy with other things, so please, can you pay attention? Just give a little crumb to me over here. He's not doing that. He's actually appealing to God's, he knows God's character from his law. Back in Deuteronomy, God tells his people, don't ignore the people around you that are in distress. Help them out. And in essence, the same verbiage here is, don't hide yourself from your friends when they need you. Don't, act, don't turn off the lights when they're knocking at the door and act like nobody's home. But sometimes we feel God does that to us, but David is letting us know that's not his character. Because what he asks of his people, he has already demonstrated in himself. He wants us to walk out his character, not try to overcome his character. He's saying, no, I'm giving myself to you. So David is saying, hide not yourself because, God, you promised that, you know, when, when we were not supposed to hide, when, don't ignore. And so he's saying, God, please don't be true to your character. Don't ignore my plea for mercy. And now what he's asking for is mercy. He's got enemies that are attacking him. And I think in a second we'll look at the situation that he is under, but he's got enemies that are seeking to destroy him, kill him. And he doesn't, he doesn't first say, God, just annihilate everybody. He says, God, I need your mercy. Because he knows himself. He knows the weakness in his own heart. He knows the sinfulness of his own pride that's shown up in his life. And he says, God, I just need your mercy. Please give me your mercy. And he says, attend to me in verse 2 and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. Don't we feel that strain in our lives? What's the complaint that you have before God? You know, it's, it's, not, it's not wrong to complain to him. It's, I think it's how we complain. If we complain in ways that just want God to be a cosmic Santa Claus and come give us relief and give us a gift in that moment that'll just make life a little better, uh, better whether it's a distraction for us or whether it's something that we just think is going to set us in motion for the, the life that we want to live, God is not that way. And, and we can't complain to him as if he's just not shown up. Like, oh, but here, I got a bag of coal when I shouldn't have got, I should have got a good skateboard. That's what I should have got, God. And now I'm irritated with you. That's sometimes the tone of our complaints. But when we have a complaint that says, God, I'm ruined. I'm nothing apart from you. But God, I keep on bumping into this situation or, or the people in my life in this way. God, I keep on bumping up against this and it still reveals something in me. God, why is this still happening? Why? We know the strain when we're battling sin and the moan that we have, like I did it again. We know that and it's good to go to God and say, God, why is this still happening in me? Because the motivation and the root of that is, God, I need to be free. I need to be free to enjoy you. I need to be free to see you. I need to be free to see Jesus. But his complaint, we know, the disillusionment with the course and events of life, just disillusion. Like, is this ever, ever going to work out? 
Is it ever going to be what I'm hoping and what I believe God has even promised? In verse 3, because of the noise of the enemy. The, the original word there for noise means misery. Because misery has a sound. And misery wants us to know that. And we also, it's important for us to properly identify the enemies in our lives. We have three. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. Some people call this the unholy trinity. It's the the world in terms of people that we interact with. Now, Proverbs tells us that there's even subcategories to the world. We have three types of people in the world. We have wise and Proverbs, the King Solomon, usually they say the wise are the ones who have geared their heart toward the Lord and they're living by faith for him. But then you have the simple, the fool. That's, we bump up against, sometimes we're foolish. And sometimes, most of the time, people that we interact with, they do something foolish and it, it affects us in a particular way and we have to overcome the, the weirdness or anger or offer forgiveness, but... But there's a third category of people in the world that Proverbs tells us, and those are evil. So we have the wise, the simple, and evil. Those who are bent on destruction and just see opportunity for evil. And sometimes in our lives, we come across people that are evil. And they take out that evil on us. Could be in workplaces, could be in neighborhoods. Uh, A friend of mine... Uh, was sued by his neighbor for putting a ladder on a fence. But that, that's a burden. That's, you have people that are going to scrutinize things so much. And we feel those people in our lives. But a lot of times it's just the foolish people that we're dealing with. But every so often it's evilness that rises up, that we need to contend with, that we that just causes burdens in our lives, gives us something else to think about. So we have the world, and look, the system of the world is against God. Jesus said, they will hate you because they hate me. And as much as as we try, we, we shouldn't be belligerent to the world. We need to be loving and caring and a, a picture of Jesus in that way to the world to provide opportunity for the gospel. But the system and the 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 systemic nature of the world is evil, hates God, and we live in that world. Then you have the flesh to deal with, where we are just finicky and fickle, idiotic. And we, we make the same mistakes, and we we struggle with the same sins and we say the same things and we repent the same way and nothing seems to change. We have the flesh to contend with. That's an enemy of our souls. It's the enemy within. So we have the enemy that's around us. We have the enemy that's in us. And we have the devil himself that is an enemy. Now, for the most part, you know, the, the devil is not omnipresent like God is. So we can't always say that the devil is doing that because you know, the devil's going after particular people in the world. But there's demonic forces and there are demons that are doing his bidding all over. And sometimes, sometimes spiritually, there's just something happening in our lives that is of demonic nature. Wait a minute, this this is odd. Why is this happening this way? And 
sometimes it's okay or it's very beneficial to recognize this just might be an attack on our family or on me. The enemy found an opportune time. And so this, to orient us back to Christ and say, God, I need to, I need to see you to be set free from this. But those are the things, those are the enemies that provide that burden, that bring about the burden, but also that's what causes the strain in our lives. That second um, stanza is escape. This is all of us. All of us look for escape mechanisms. We have them, we use them. We want to escape because fear comes upon us and overwhelms us. You know, but, but recognize fear strikes. This is King David who is saying, I fear and I tremble. This is the same man that took on Goliath when nobody else would, when he was probably around 16 or 18 years old. Same man. He said, I am terrified. I'm trembling. It helps us to recognize that even the most important saints of God that we think have a really, they have it all figured out, they struggle. And struggle with fear. Remember Elijah? After the huge event on Mount Carmel with uh, defeating the prophets of Baal? What did he do next? He ran because Jezebel said, kill him. He's like, I'm out of here. See you later. And just started running. Fear strikes the most important saints. We all deal with it. And look what he says. <laughs> oh, that I had wings like a dove. Oh, we want to fly away from and get above and beyond every burden that we have. Because we think, if I just get away, then I'll be at rest. He says, I'll just wander. I'll just go for a walk and, and see where I go. I'd rather have a house in the wilderness, in the desert itself, than what I'm going through right now. We sympathize with that. We know what that means. Some type of shelter from the raging wind and the tempest whether it's a figurative hurricane, or a literal hurricane or figurative wind and tempest of our lives. We want escape, but listen, escape only prolongs the resolution that God wants to bring in our lives. God wants to prove himself faithful in the moments, in the tempests, and in the raging wind, just like we see, we see those examples in Jesus when he's sleeping in the bottom of the boat, the waves are crashing, the boat is breaking apart, the waves are crashing so hard on it, they wake him up, don't you care about us? He says, peace, be still, and everything was calm. He looks at his disciples, why are you freaking out? I'm right here. They thought he was hiding. Don't you care about us? We're burdened right now. Jesus essentially was just saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. But we, when we want escape, we're actually delaying the blessing and the healing that God wants to bring to our lives. And we need to learn in many ways to suffer well. And that's knowing how to complain to God in a way that that puts our hearts out there to say, God, I need my heart molded and fashioned into what you desire, not my own cravings. In the third stanza, verse 9, we have a, which many cities in our country are living through this right now with all the protests that are happening. But here he first says, destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues um, he's actually saying, confuse the counsel of the wicked. 
confuse their counsel, and may they go, may they start convincing themselves of doing the wrong things so they're actually trapped and caught. He says this, for I see violence and strife in the city. This is what we see on the news as we're hearing about. Day and night. They go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Now, that iniquity and trouble are two words. One is violence, but the other is also vanity. So whether our, whether our cities are really experiencing the, the, the torrent of violence through protest or whatever, every city is experiencing just the vanity that happens day and night that seeks to suck us into it. Ruin is in its midst, oppression and fraud. Do not depart from its marketplace. Look, oppression and fraud in the marketplace. Money. Economically, things are stressful and burdensome this year. Like no other year. Maybe many of our experiences. We, this, is, this is real. And, and it, it begs, what, what is going to happen? And, and we hear the, the question, what is life going to be like? How are we, will, will we ever sense that or get back to that sense of normalcy that we lived with for so long before a pandemic? But it touches everything. And then to make the wound deeper, David's looking at the city that he loves and see that it's in ruin and in violence, but he also, in, in, in beginning in verse 12 through verse 15, he's saying to make matters worse, it was a dear friend that betrayed me. For it's not an enemy who taunts me, then I can bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. Many theologians think that he's actually, this psalm was written around the time uh, that his son Absalom came and drove him out of Jerusalem. Uh, and Absalom set up himself as king. He spent two years prior uh, capturing the hearts of the people by sitting at the gate and telling everybody, hey, uh, David's busy. Why don't you come bring your, bring your uh, problems to me and I can help you. And, and he, was, he was acting as king even though his father was still king, but the people were saying, oh, we want you. He was a handsome man as well, so this is great. So when Absalom says, he blows the trumpet and says, I am king, most followed him. But then, one of the counselors of David didn't go with David. He stayed and joined Absalom's side. And his name was Ahithophel. Ahithophel was a trusted counselor of David. He was a dear friend of David. This is who David's probably talking about. It wasn't my enemy that came from outside. It was somebody that I loved dearly. We had sweet counsel together. We shared secrets with one another, and now it's been exposed. So he feels, this is, this is my friend Ahithophel. Why? Why is he doing this? There might be, might be somebody in your life that you're asking that question. God, why this person? This hurts uniquely and worse than anything else. Sometimes we, we'd rather like have a limb broken than to feel the betrayal of somebody that's been so dear and close to us. But he says, let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart, in verse 15. This is a, a weird thing. He's actually saying, God, overcome man's resistance. 
overcome their pride in wanting to set themselves up uh, as you, above you, God. Destroy their plans, how? By confusing their counsel. Divide their tongues. We also don't, when we see that evil's in their dwelling place and in their heart, we need to understand what's in man's heart uh, and not be so, because remember the world that we're in, the wise, the people that we're interacting with, there's some wise and some they're fools and some they're evil. But when, I think for us as, as Christians, we need to understand this and being biblically informed, we must not be shocked at the, at the extent of sinfulness. We should be properly and appropriately grieved by that. But we should not be shocked. You know what the shocking thing is? Why this stuff doesn't happen more? Because if we had the, the reins and, and we were really unleashed and wanted and man was given over to do what's really in his heart, what we're experiencing this year should be normal and worse. God in his just common grace has put on restraint for the world to make way for his gospel to move forward. And he holds that restraint in place. People that hate him, he doesn't hate this. I'm just not going to give you over to really what you want to do. So we should not be shocked that violence happens and sin happens. We should be grieved because it grieves God. But we should, we should be more shocked that I'm just surprised this doesn't happen more. But then David properly and always goes to God. Verse 16 he goes to the God who hears. I call on God and the Lord will save me. You feel in so many of David's psalms, you feel he just gives the reality of the, the strain and the depth of sorrow that he's in. And when he, he turns the corner to recognize God, you feel the mounting faith in him. And that's what helps us too. But look in verse 17, evening and morning and at noon, what's he talking about? He's talking about a regular pattern of being with the Lord, no matter what our burden is. Friends, no matter what our burden is, we still need to maintain our time with God. We still need to maintain our time in his word and sitting and, and trying to listen to his voice. In verse 19, oh, just that, well, 18, he redeems the soul in safety from the battle that I waged, for many are arrayed against me. He redeems, and he brings the safety. Verse 19, God will give ear and humble them. Look what's happened. He calls to God, puts his faith on God, and then recognizes what's happening to my enemies is not, is not now something that I want just to, uh, I want God to crush them just to bring a relief into my own soul. He's recognizing, no, they really are headed to destruction. God will humble them. And we too must beware of self-righteous judgment. When we get attacked, we want to attack in response. And we want, since we're Christians, we want God to attack for us. Because he says, vengeance is mine. He'll repay, Romans 12, 9. So we think, God, vengeance. Now. God says, no, 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 no. You don't call my vengeance forth. Because it's mine. I have the vengeance. He will repay, the Apostle Paul says. So, but, but when we think about that, that should also grieve us. Like the people who are evil and wicked, they are, they are standing toward a future, in the face of a future, 
completely apart from God in eternal hellfire if they do not repent. This is a proper grieving. God will give ear and he will humble them. We want, we want God to humble our adversaries. Why? To, to hopefully soften them for the gospel so they hear Jesus and repent of their sins and trust him. In verse 6, or I'm sorry, verse 20, uh, stanza 6, he, he goes back to, the friend did this to me, my companion stretched out his hand against me. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. This is sadly too much of our experience. We trust somebody only to be stabbed in the back. But what... What Jesus told his disciples is, like, be in the world, but be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We need to be wise. We need to be wise about plans that we make with others. Wise about connections that we make and contracts that we seek. We need to be wise about all of those. And then we get to verse 22. Where here, all of this struggle that you hear in David resolves itself with cast your burden on the Lord. Because if we don't, listen, the burden just eats us up. And the result is bitterness. The result is pride, resentment. The disillusionment gives way to uh, depression. And all of these things cause us to look at God and say, God, you must, you've got to be hiding yourself from me. We turn off and we go by our own understanding. We live by our own rules and our own authority. But here, David's so well. He's telling himself this, but he's telling us, he's telling us this as well. Cast your burden on the Lord. Now, this cast is throwing it, fling it. You know why I think he uses this word? Because our, um, our burdens are like, they're not rocks that hold us down. They're more like the silly putty that we can't get off of our hands. And you know, when sometimes you just have to like get something away from you, like beyond the static. You know, if you're feeling with any uh, uh, um, styrofoam, like styrofoam just glows. It just sticks because it, the static electricity. That's how it burns and you have to just get stuff off, right? That's what God is telling us to do with our burdens, but not just casting them off where? On the Lord, what a gracious God. What a gracious Savior that tells us to do that because our burdens are those things, they do weigh us down, but they stick and they want to remain. And we need to thrust them off so they don't so quickly bounce back to us. I think sometimes we get so used to our burdens that we don't know what life is like without them. And then we are afraid to get rid of our burden. He says, cast your burden on the Lord. Throw it off. Fling it on him. Peter, Apostle Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. David's saying the same thing. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He loves you. He's with you in the boat with the tempest and the winds raging. He's with you. Cast it on him. It's not like you have to go run and find him and then get it on him before he moves somewhere else. No, he is with us and he's asking us, just give it to me. And he will sustain. You know, we want God to pick us up and carry us. 
because we want all of the relief so we don't have any effort that's needed and we don't bear any responsibility. But that's not how God works. God comes to us and he says, I will sustain you so you obey. You still got to work. You still got to be responsible. He will sustain us by being with us. And he will never permit the righteous to be moved. I love this thought. Nothing because the righteous, he will not, we are his righteous. If we have repented of our sins and trusted Christ for salvation and we have put all of our faith in him, and like if he moves, we fall, we're done. We put all of our faith in him. He died our death, so now we can live his life. We're trusting in that completely. We are what the Bible says, righteous. We are justified. Nothing can undo our justification. Nothing. No attack of the devil himself. No, no conspiracy of the world. And no domination of any sinfulness that is left in us can ever tell us ever that we are guilty before God and do not belong in his presence. He says to us, you are not guilty and you can never be removed from my presence. Amen. Listen, we spend so much time wondering if we're in God's presence when we should be recognized. We should be recognizing we are always in his presence. If we can't work our way with goodness into his presence, it follows that we cannot work our way out of it by our sinfulness. He simply tells us, trust me, and you are saved. You are justified. And we're supposed to be holy and pursue holiness, but it's because we have been justified. Oh, nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. No tribulation, no famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. Nothing can separate us from God's love. It's not because of our love being so strong. It's because his love is so great and it's so strong. And that's what he says, with you. I'm with you to experience my love every moment of every day. Then he goes, final thought, I will trust in you. If we are looking upon God and we're casting our burdens on him and we're recognizing that his presence is always with us, listen, we don't have to be preoccupied with the enemy. We don't have to be looking at, we don't have to, be, to go into the conspiracy theories of the world. And there are plenty. Some of them may be right, I don't know. We're not to be preoccupied with them. We're to pre be preoccupied with the Savior that has promised he will never leave. And he will be with us always. And so that's where we turn right now to Matthew 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when David says, and, and Apostle Peter, cast your burdens, Jesus is saying, bring it, bring it. And he uses this weird thing because he says, take my yoke upon you. Now a yoke was used for oxen to plow so there's still a responsibility and a work that is, is, is shown with this image. But the effort is actually on, it's like we're a baby oxen and, what is it, uh, babe, or, uh, uh, they're old stories, sorry. Big oxen, little oxen, Jesus, <laughs> us. Dane Ortland in his new book, Gentle and Lowly, he says this, uh, Jesus' yoke on us is like what helium is to a balloon. It just lifts us. 
Another, here's a quote by Dane Ortland. You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. No payment is required. He says, I will give you rest. His rest is gift, not transaction. Whether you are actively working hard to crowbar your life into smoothness or passively finding yourself weighed down by something outside your control, Jesus desire that you find rest, that you come in out of the storm, outstrips even your own desire to be free, to have rest. He wants our rest more than we do. He gives it to us. So, church, I ask you, what's your complaint to God? What's your burden? What's your burden? God wants us to be free from it. He wants us to have rest. So is it, is it financial? Is it just the fear that comes with uh, uncertainty and not knowing how to proceed, not knowing what the world's... Is, is the burden frustrations because things are just harder than you want them to be? What's the burden? The burden a, a wayward or unbelieving child? What's the burden? Hear your Savior say, come, give it to me. Cast that on me because I love you and I am with you. And look, we replace it with, rather than being preoccupied with our burden and the enemies of our lives, what are we replacing it with? We come and learn of the Savior who is gentle and lowly. Ortland brings this point out. Uh, his father, Ray Ortland, was a pastor in Nashville uh, and a seminary professor, and he learned something from Charles Spurgeon that when, when Jesus had the opportunity to declare who he was, he didn't come in like every one of us would have done. I am king of the mountain. No, he came saying, I'm gentle and lowly, and you'll find rest for your soul by coming to me. So find rest. Let's pray for rest. Jesus, thank you for making yourself so very clear to us this morning. Lord, we, we have our burden and we're bringing it to you and it's wanting to stick to us, God. Like venom, it wants to stick to us and be in us. And we need to rid ourselves of it. So we cast it on you. We cast it on you, God. Take it. And replace it with your yoke. Replace it with your presence and a feeling of your love that's, that, that soothes uh, and satisfies my soul. God, do it now. Do it now. God, in the line that we sang earlier, that these bones will sing. God, that's, that's awful, far too often how we, we're living life. We're living life as bones that have no breath and life in them. But God, breathe life again. May the bones sing because of your breath and the rest that you give us and the love that we feel from you.